0: Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. You know, I don't think I ever told you this. I have another podcast. I know, I know. You probably had enough of me. But another pastor and I have a podcast called Two Dudes in a Canoe. We just talk about life. It's, it's a lot of fun. So when this is done, you should hop in the canoe on my other podcast. I think you'd enjoy it. I'd love for you to join. Now, about this one. To be quite candid with you, I almost left this message off this podcast. And who knows, it might get removed, and that's okay. I just felt like I had to upload it. You know, our society is losing the art of being able to discuss touchy topics in grace and truth. I think we can lead the way. I think we should lead the way. In fact, my prayer is that this is a step in that direction. Don't be afraid to reach out if you have thoughts. Love hearing from you. With that said, here we go. When I was a kid, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I didn't go to the local public school in town. Instead, my parents sent me to a small country Christian school, I mean, literally way out in the country. It was like a one-room schoolhouse type of school. Very, very good people, Uh, very strict people. It was a a school with a huge focus on rules, and in many ways it was good for me uh, to learn to submit to rules that didn't necessarily make sense to me. When I was in seventh grade, though, my school decided to take a field trip to the Wisconsin State Capitol to gather and, in their words, take a stand against gay marriage. There was a hearing about gay rights going on. And I remember this meeting very clearly. I was on one side of the room with my schoolmates and my teachers, and then on the other side of the room had people who were for gay marriage, and both sides of the room taking a stand, I remember one man from the other side of the room, he got up and he gave a very impassioned speech about why he should be able to marry his partner. He was very articulate, and you could tell he had strong feelings, strong feelings not just for the topic, but for his partner. I was sitting next to one of my teachers, and when the man finished his speech, my teacher whispered to me, what a a derogatory name for a homosexual. It was the first time I heard this term, and and it took me back. Because the man who just gave that speech, Jesus loves him too, right? I didn't grow up around many gay people. At least that I knew of. Maybe I was ignorant to it. It wasn't until I went to that local public high school toward the end of high school when I, when I started to interact with openly gay people more. In fact, I accidentally went to an LGBTQ rally in our school gym because I didn't know what it stood for. You know, they were just saying, LGBTQ, and I don't know what that means. Like, if it got me out of class, sure, I'll, I'll go. Plus, some pretty girls were going into that meeting. Little did I know, I didn't really stand a chance with those girls. But throughout high school and in college, I made a few gay friends. In fact, in Bible college, my Bible teacher was a man who formerly identified as gay. A lot of my formal Bible education came from a man who was gay for decades, and, and he was great. He would, he would let me ask him any question. And I would, you know, how were you formerly gay? How, how does that work? You know, do you like women now? Like, what does that mean? And, and he was great. He would graciously answer my sometimes ignorantly phrased questions. And that professor had a really big impact on me. In that class, I sat next to a guy who was gay. He was trying to figure out and navigate his attraction to other men, but also following Jesus and, and how, what does that look like? And I liked him. He, he's a really nice guy. I remember one time sitting in class and and looking at my professor, who I, I love so much, and the guy next to me, and thinking, how many times were those two called the same name that my seventh grade teacher taught me? And I felt for them. They probably walked through pain and ridicule. I didn't like that thought, because they meant a lot to me. And it made me wonder, if I were to go back to that room at the Capitol, if I were to go back there, you know, pro-gay on one side and anti-gay on the other, I started wondering which side of the room would I go to now? Because I feel like I can't go to either side. Like, I believe what Jesus believed and I believe what Jesus taught, and so I can't go over there, right? But at the same time, I, I can't get on board with what my school did and said. I don't want to go over there either. Which side of the room do I go to? Is there a third side of the room? Where do I stand in that room now? Yeah, that's the most common question that we get as a church. Now, people periodically will call into the office, or they'll email us, and and they want to know exactly that. And the question is almost always phrased this way, where does this church stand on LGBTQ? Where does it stand? And of course, this is a very emotional question. It's politically charged it's relationally charged it's a very sensitive subject and some see this question as a very easy question to answer you know well we're against it or maybe you're you know more in the mindset of no we're, we're for it but the truth is as a Jesus follower this question is only easy to answer if you have perfectly balanced grace and truth in your life which few of us have This is only an easy question to answer if you don't know anybody who's gay, bisexual, or transgender. This is only an easy question to answer if you've never had a child come home and at the dinner table say those words, mom, dad, I'm gay. This is only an easy question to answer if you've never wrestled with same-sex attraction and are afraid of what people will say and do when they find out. This is only easy to answer if you are not close with somebody who identifies with this. It's not easy, which is why, as a church, we won't give careless answers to this question. And to be quite candid with you, it's, this, is, this is hard for me to talk about, not because I don't know what I believe, I know what I believe, This is hard for me to talk about because you know this, this is a minefield. I'm not going to get through this without getting some blood drawn here. It's the nature of the conversation. Phrases get quoted, snippets get put online, names get called, people get canceled. This is a very explosive conversation. But the other reason that this is hard for me to preach right now is because I got to do something that I'm not so great at doing. If you've been coming to the bridge for a while, you know I'm not very good at this, and that is be very, very careful with my words. I want to be very careful with my words because we don't want to be flippant with the answer to this question right here. And we're gonna get into you know, what we believe and why we believe that. But at the same time, we must be very compassionate, we must be very loving, we must be very understanding, because there's a lot at stake when it comes to this. See, I'm not a church critic. Eh, there's enough church critics out there, there are a dime a dozen. But I will say the church has historically struggled to answer this question the way that Jesus would have. Many churches have been like my school, standing on one side of the room, anti-gay, creating stigmas about gay people and stigmas about the church and needlessly hurting gay people and their relationship with the church. Other churches, especially more recently, have gone to the other side of the room, to the pro-gay side of the room, and, and Jesus wasn't over there either. And so we want to get this right we, we want to do this with the spirit of grace. I feel like we should all take a breath, though. I, I, ever since I said the word gay, some of you have not yet breathed, and it's been about five minutes, so let's just, let's just all take a big, deep breath. It's going to be okay, all right? We're, we're going to be okay. Um, this, is, this is only awkward if we make it awkward. Unfortunately, you got the awkward teaching, Pastor. How did that work? Out of all the teaching, guys, you're stuck with me. Good luck. So let's let's answer this question: where does the church stand on LGBTQ? You know, for for me, I don't like the word stand because often when we when we use the where do you stand questions, it doesn't respect the complexity of the issue. And we do this with a lot of topics today. You know, where do you stand on immigration? Where do you stand on COVID vaccinations? Where do you stand politically? And that question never really allows conversation. It's, it's often very loaded. Typically, it's, I want to know where you stand, so I can either accept you or I can write you off. We're not going to get to know each other. We're not going to hear each other out. We're not going to listen to each other's stories. Just tell me where you stand, and I'll tell you where I stand, and then we can decide if we're compatible. And that's why I just I don't care for the, the use of the word stand or the, or the stand questions. Actually, if you humor me for a second, if you were to go throughout the, the Gospels, if you were to look at the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you were to read the stories about Jesus, it's kind of funny. Jesus rarely just stands. Like, I, I know this is, like, sounds really odd, but, but seriously, rarely does Jesus ever just stand. But he does, he does do a lot of walking if you read the Gospels. His feet are always taking him to where people are, and, and then when he got there, he would sit with them and he would eat with them. Jesus didn't do a lot of just standing. It's it's actually one of the reasons that the religious leaders hated him, because he would go to random people's houses, and he would sit, and he would eat with them, and then he would walk with them, and and then he would talk with them. Like, never once does Jesus in in the Gospels get up and address a crowd, hey, yo, gather up all you cheaters, all you whoremongers, all you disobedient, crude sinners. I just want to let you know this is where you stand with me, and then he leaves it at that. He, He never does that. No, instead he would sit with them and he would walk with them and he would break bread with them and he would have compassion and he would have grace and Jesus would ask questions and he would share truth through relationship. Jesus said a lot of hard things but it was always through a loving relationship. And that's how we want to be as a church. We follow that example because we know to really love someone you must listen, you must seek to understand, you must know them and also speak truth Through love. And so, if we were to reduce this whole discussion down to, you know, where do you stand? I fear that we would be standing on one side of the room instead of sitting with the people that Jesus would sit with. See, the bridge would rather sit where Jesus sat instead of stand where Pharisees stood. And I know that doesn't like answer the question or answer the question at hand. But it does lay a foundation for, for us around here. This is our heart. We would rather sit. We would rather talk. We'd rather walk together than stand. So, why do we even have to have this conversation? Well, the truth is, is because you've asked for it. So, we're having this. It's your fault we're having this conversation. We just get this question way too much to, to, to ignore But the bigger reason that we're having this conversation is because we as a church, we need to set the tone for how these conversations happen in grace and truth with humility. We need to show our world how to have these conversations. We're not gonna see it on, on the news. We're not gonna see it on social media. Instead, and you know this, instead lines have been drawn, grenades have been thrown. Satan has been having a field day by hurting people, hurting the church, hurting gay people, and hurting families that are close. There's this is charged division. But as Jesus followers, we're we're to be the bridge, we're to connect with people, we're to hear their stories, we're to love them, and we're to show them the truth that is found, the truth and love that is found in Jesus Christ. So that's why we're having this conversation. And I know, listen, I know that's like the longest intro ever. Typically as a church, we're like a few verses deep uh, in a message by now. But when you have conversations like this one, it, it takes some time to get there. I think of it a lot like my daughter's. You know when I when I need to, need to have a sensitive conversation with one of my daughters, and, and usually that's on me as a father. I, I want to have some of those hard conversations. Uh, whenever I have those conversations, at, at first often I'll just sit with them and I'll, I'll listen to them and I'll hold them and I'll tell them I love them. I'll, I'll take them for a walk, and then the conversation happens a, a little bit a little bit better. So having said all of that, let me just let me just say, if you are same sex attracted, I am so glad that you're with us. I'm glad that you have the courage to sit where you're sitting, and I want to let you know that we love you, and that you should keep coming back, and that this is a great place for, for you to be. Now today, I might say some things that you don't like. Uh, truth is, though, I, I say things that straight people don't like, too. But I might say some things that maybe you don't understand, or, or maybe you disagree with, and I just want to let you know that that's okay. Okay. That's, that's all right. I mean, so much we, we wonder, you know, how can, I, how can I love you when we disagree? Hey, I've been married for 11 years, and she disagrees with me all the time. Now, right now, my wife and I do not agree on the lighting in our house. She likes to have all the lights on. like Our, our, our house is like a lighthouse in the neighborhood, all the lights on. I like all the lights more dim and calm. It kind of calms the kids down, and, and it sets the mood for, you know, just in case. Uh, But I disagree with how my wife backs up a car. I just disagree with how she does it. But she's cute. I love her. And she disagrees with the safety of my motorcycle. But once in a while, she'll just jump on the back for a date. My wife and I, we disagree with each other, but our disagreements actually enhance our love for each other. We don't have to agree on everything to be able to love each other. Uh, There's a few older ladies in our church who I love so dearly, and they hate my tattoos, and they hate my long hair but they give me the best hugs, and they say, Junior, we love you anyway, and I love them too. Actually, my dad is part of, the, of that old lady group, and his new thing that he's been saying lately, he told me this last week, he's like, you look like the Geico caveman commercial. What, what an old man thing to say. I, 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 I disagree with him, but I, I still love, I might lock him up, but I, I still love him. One of my good friends growing up, he actually taught me how to drive a manual transmission He's a, he's a gay guy, good friend, we disagree, I love that guy, and he's so good to me. He, he has defended me, and I would defend him. We don't have to agree on this, and, and, and that's okay. I have gay friends who are probably going to listen to this and go, yeah, we disagree with Junior, but we're still friends, and and hopefully we can, we can all say that. So let, 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 let's get to it. At the bridge, uh, we go to the Bible. We go to the Bible for everything. Uh, we see the Bible as our authority. It, this is not everybody's authority, but here at the bridge, we see this is our authority. And personally, there's stuff in here that I just wouldn't put in here. I, I wouldn't put in there. But I'm, I'm not God, and so I, I submit to what God says in here anyway. And so what, what, does, what does God say? Well, the first few pages of Scripture uh, in, in the law... Uh, In the New Testament, it's repeated that sexual intimacy is is for a man and a woman in a committed marriage. And so according to Scripture, anything outside of that, gay or straight, is just outside of God's best and what God wants for us. Now, I realize that that's not what many LGBTQ people want to hear. Uh, To be fair, that's not what many straight people want to hear either. For a lot of straight Christians, it's this truth right here that we would like to change. You ask most Christian guys, what's the one sin you wish was permitted? It would be this right here. Because sex outside of marriage with anybody we find attractive, it sounds like a good time. You know, so often, again, gay or straight, it doesn't matter. So often we want God. We want God, but we want him out of our bedroom, and we want him off of our computers, and we want him out of our thoughts. Because we know, we know it was Jesus who said these words. If you have one lustful thought, you've committed adultery. Oh, we don't like that. Now we're all guilty of going against Scripture, what Scripture has laid out for us. And that's the thing, is the church historically has often isolated homosexuality as being like the dirtiest, most offensive sin, and then we rail against it, you know, and take these public stands, Meanwhile, our pews are filled with people who are living together and sleeping together and minds overwhelmed with sexual fantasies, just dirty minds. And and Jesus is going, come on, guys, it's all out of bounds. None of you are better than the other. And so gay or straight, we've all messed this up in some way. Now, one common question that that is out there uh, that people are asking today is, well, Jesus never specifically mentions homosexuality. Jesus never specifically mentioned a lot of things, though. He never mentioned wife-beating, but but I can tell you he's not for that. See, this right here, this is what we call an argument from silence, which is never a a good argument. The reality is, though, Jesus did talk about sexual purity and, and marriage. Jesus does address it. In fact, this is what Jesus taught. This is Jesus speaking. He said, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he'll fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so as Jesus is teaching this, he's affirming God's original design, God's best. But more than this, to, to take this a level deeper, uh, something that Christians believe is that Jesus is God. Jesus is part of the Trinity. And so Jesus was part of writing Genesis chapter 2. Jesus was part of writing the Levitical law that addresses homosexuality. He was also part of inspiring the New Testament passages that address it as well. And so to say, well, Jesus never specifically mentions homosexuality, you have to not only find a way around his teachings, but you also have to say that he wasn't God. The reason that Jesus didn't preach it was because it wasn't much of a topic at his time. In Jesus' culture, first century agrarian Judaism, it just wasn't a discussion. And so Jesus doesn't specifically go there other than affirming what Scripture already teaches on sex. Having said that, I want you to notice in this verse, though, if you you look at this, notice Jesus isn't picking on homosexuals like, like many churches have. Jesus isn't like singling it out. He's addressing it all. He's addressing sex before marriage. He's addressing living together. He's addressing sleeping around. He's addressing lust. He's addressing everything outside of God's best, which, again, it puts us all in the same boat. Now, I realize that this right here makes Jesus look like a bigot today. In our culture, Jesus would be a, a bigot and so I, I have a few observations that I want to walk through here. Number one, and these are in your notes if you're taking notes. Number one is Jesus is grieved over the mistreatment of the gay community. Jesus is grieved. He is. And, and we should be too. You know, the church as a whole has, has a checkered past when it comes to the use of language, the lack of love, and singling this out. There have been many disgusting signs and terrible protests done in the name of of, of the church to hurt the gay community. and It's just reality, and it's something that uh, we should be embarrassed about. I'm embarrassed about. Now, to be fair, today, it, it's just a small, tiny faction of people who call themselves Christians who do that. Uh, personally, today, I, I don't know anybody who hates gay people right now. I'm, I'm not saying there, there is none. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I don't know of any. At the bridge, I don't know of anybody who does. We have We have gay people who attend our our church, and they've commented to me before that they feel welcomed and that they feel loved. Right now, my wife, her small group, uh, heard about a lesbian woman. She doesn't come to our church, and she's having a health tragedy, and my wife's small group is pooling their money together and buying toys for her kids and making meals for them and buying them gift cards. And I say that somewhat to brag on our church. It makes me so proud of our church. But I also say that to say, like Jesus, we really do desire to be a blessing to those who we disagree with. At the same time, we realize that hasn't been every person's experience with the church. There have been a number of Christians, there have been a number of preachers, a number of marchers using rhetoric that push homosexuals away from Jesus Christ. Statistically, most gay people who have attended the church, they didn't, they didn't leave the church because they were told what the Bible teaches on homosexuality. Statistically, they've left the church because they were dehumanized, strong-armed, or just left out. In fact, uh, research conducted by Northwestern University and Regent University, two different universities who would disagree on, they don't see eye-to-eye on homosexuality, but they work together. Imagine that. They they surveyed 1,700 LGBTQ people in in every state, and they found this. They found that 83% of LGBTQ grew up in the church. I was surprised by this statistic. It's it's an overwhelming majority of LGBTQ people grew up in the church. Uh, 51% said they left after turning 18. They left the church. Now, look at this. Only 3% said they left because of the teaching. Only 3% said we left because the church said it's not okay. It's just 3%. 18% said because they didn't feel safe. No, it's tragic. 18% left because they didn't feel safe. 14% said they left because they just felt excluded. They were strong-armed. They were left out. And look at this, 9% said they were kicked out. And then there's a a number of, of other reasons. That's sad. Because gay people, gay or straight we will always gravitate toward where we are loved. And if we can't find it in the church, we're gonna go elsewhere. This is why Jesus tells us, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus doesn't qualify this. Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbor who's of the same race. Love your neighbor who has the right sex life. Love your neighbor who votes right. Love your neighbor who you know, is masked up. No, there's, no, there's no qualifiers on any of this. Jesus is even the pagans, even, the, even unbelievers love people who are easy to love, who are just like them. No, we're to, we're to love everybody. No exceptions. Which is why Jesus is grieved over the mistreatment of homosexuals, the jokes, the name-calling, the attacks. It hurts Jesus because Jesus wants them as much as he wants anyone else. And Jesus died for homosexuals as much as he died for heterosexuals. If the gospel is not good news to gay people, it's not good news to anyone. And Jesus' love is, is unconditional while it holds us accountable. Jesus, lo- Jesus' love delivers grace and truth and empowers our obedience. It's the kindness of God that drives us to repentance. Second observation that we must realize is sexual attraction is complex. It's complex. Imagine, if you will, and some of you don't need to imagine this because this is your story, but for the rest of us, imagine the, the pain and the fear someone feels as a kid to hear their friends talk about members of the opposite sex, and you keep wondering, when am I going to feel that way? Because you're more interested in members of the same sex, and it doesn't make sense to you. And as you get older, you wonder and you hope that this might go away. In fact, you might even pray, you know, God, take this from me. But it doesn't happen. And then as you attend church, you hear sermons that feel condemning and nobody understands. And you don't feel like you can talk about this struggle. You hear the jokes. You hear the names. And you end up laying in bed at night just wondering, asking yourself, how am I going to live my life? And this is the story of many, many, many people, friends of mine, my, my Bible professor. And we need to have an incredible amount of kindness and compassion and a willingness, as Jesus did, to sit down and break bread and walk with people. See, regardless of who you're attracted to, what we're attracted to, gay or straight, it, it's a bit of a mystery. It, it's, it's complex, and we don't fully understand it. Sexual attraction, is, it's complex. And for example, uh, ladies, you might get together with your girlfriends, and you're going to watch a movie, and, uh, and, and your friend, you know, the movie comes on, and, and the main character shows up, and all your friends think that actor is so cute, I mean, so muscular, so cute, but you're sitting there going, I, I don't see it. In fact, you, you instead, you like the, the nerdier co-star, you know, with the big glasses. Or fellas, you know, you get together with the guys, and, and some of the guys are interested in blondes, and some of the guys are interested in brunettes, and yeah, you're just more interested in redheads. Why? Not sure. See, none of us sat in middle school and went, hmm, I think I'm gonna be attracted to that person right there. That's not what happened. You, you just were, and you can't explain why. And so science has concluded, and studies in psychology, they've concluded genetically, it's just, it's, it's, it's largely a mystery. Some of us are attracted to certain hair colors, certain body types, certain styles, And so science concludes there's just, there's no gene that determines our attraction. There's no gene that determines our orientation. It's just, it's a complex disposition. And so what happens, and and this is what happens so much for for any discussion today, especially politics, is we'll take a very complex issue, you know, whether it's uh, immigration or justice, and we'll take a very complex issue, and then we'll just oversimplify it. we, We do this with sexual orientation. You know, oversimplify it. Well, they chose to be sexually attracted to the same sex. Or no, they were born that way. Just oversimplify it. No, 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 no. It's a very complex issue, and to treat it as, as a simple one actually hurts the discussion. It hurts the individuals, and it creates division. So let's not oversimplify complex topics. My Bible professor, who lived as a gay man for decades, Again, I talked to him about attraction, his attraction in college, and he let me ask him questions. And and so I just asked him, I said, do you you want to be attracted to to women now? Like, should you be? Like, you're a Christian. How does that work? And he said to me, he said, Junior, man, if there was a switch I could flip for me to be attracted to a a woman, I would flip that because, Junior, I want a family. And I loved his answer. I'll never forget it. He said, Junior, in the meantime, though, in the meantime, God hasn't called me to heterosexuality. He's called me to holiness. Wow. He, want, he went on. He said, Junior, if God flips that switch and I'm a heterosexual, awesome. I will praise him for that. But I, in the meantime, I'm going to obey and I'm going to trust and I'm going to pursue that holiness and I'm going to work on my purity. I'm going to leave the rest up to God. Two come up to that guy and slap a simple label on him, that would be wrong. Sexual attraction is complex, it's not simple. And so we, we have to have grace in that. But in that complexity is a question that I'm sure you've heard, we, we've all heard. In that complexity, we, we, a lot of times we ask, isn't somebody born gay? And, and if they're born gay, God made them that way, so it's okay, right? Well, I would just say, first, there's no scientific evidence, conclusive scientific evidence that says we're born a certain orientation. But, but even, if, even if there was, even if there was, we, we're all born with predispositions. We're all born with tendencies. Um, in fact, right now we're, we're, in, we're doing an anxiety class, and we've talked about how uh, some people are born with just a tendency, a predisposition to be more anxious, some have a natural tendency to be an alcoholic. They can't drink because of that predisposition. They'll just get caught up into that. And I want to be careful here. I'm not equating homosexuality with, with alcoholism. I'm just pointing out the logic and the examples. Another example is most guys. I'm sorry, to, sorry to, for maybe being crude, but most guys uh, have a predisposition to sleep with every beautiful woman they see. And just because we have that tendency doesn't mean we're just free to do so. We, we have responsibility in that. Some are born with a tendency toward violence. We all have tendencies that take us away from God's best. It's it's part of a fallen world. It's a result of sin. And we have a responsibility for the decisions we make with those tendencies. In fact, look at this. Uh, Jesus' little brother James wrote, Desires give birth to sinful actions. Now, notice in this verse, the desire itself isn't sin. The desire to sleep with somebody outside of marriage, it's not a sin to have that, like a, a sudden desire. It's a sin to engage in that, to sit there in lust and to pursue that desire. And so gay or straight, we can't control our desires and our attractions, whether they're healthy or not, but we can control the decisions that we make with those and the relationships we have and the way in which we express ourselves. But when we fail to do that, when we just give in to every urge, every desire, which is is hedonism, when we give in to every tendency, James continues, and he writes, when sin is allowed to grow, you just give in to those, it gives birth to death. And we've seen this happen. Gay or straight, we've seen this happen. Families are blown apart. People are hurt. Addictions are formed. Destruction and death. And so this is for all of us. I mean, come on, there's more heterosexual sin that needs confronting than homosexual sin that needs confronting right now because there's just more heterosexuals. And so we all come before the cross on level ground, needing to surrender our desires to Jesus and allow him to walk with us as we walk with each other to God's best. And that certainly isn't easy, but it's an act of trust as we say, God, I, I, I believe you know what's best, And I'm taking that step of obedience even though this desire has this pull on me. And that is a beautiful act of faith and Jesus walks right with you. Now Junior, what if we disagree? What if I disagree with you right now? I don't like what you're saying, what if we disagree? Can we still come to the bridge? Absolutely, yes, please, we want you. Many do disagree and it's okay. The bridge is a safe place where, where We love people and and where we meet people where they're at. Now, we do not withhold truth because we see that as unloving, to withhold the truth of of God, but we welcome you and and we love you. And and believe me, I realize one sermon is not going to change your mind. Like, I'm not conceited to think that these last 30 minutes of me talking, you know, has completely changed your life and, and your mindset. This is a journey, and maybe your journey will one day bring you to this understanding. Maybe not. But either way, I'm not called to change your mind. I'm called to love you. Now, I have a responsibility to teach what Scripture says. I'm going to answer to God for for the communication of His truth. But beyond that, I'm, I'm just called to love you. And we can disagree, and we can sit together. And I would defend you against mistreatment, uh, we are for your best. That's why we believe what we believe. We are for your best. And so, yes, you are welcome. Come sit next to the couples who are living together. Come sit next to the couples who are, who are sleeping together. Come sit next to us who have, uh, all of us who have wrong thoughts and, wrong, and misguided urges. The bridge is not a country club of people who have it all together. We're, all a, we're a family on a journey. All of us walking different roads toward God's best, having grace with each other in that. The third and final thought I want to share, just a third observation, and this is for Christians. Christians, for Christians, it's never a good idea to base your identity on anything other than Jesus, other than Jesus. A temptation for all of us, gay or straight, is we want to be seen a certain way. To identify with something, a sexual orientation, a career, a group of friends, a gym. And it makes sense. You know, I, well, I'm proud of this career. I want to be seen with this career. I'm proud to be friends with this person. So I want to, you know, be known for being with this person. I'm proud that I work out at this gym. So you know, I want to identify with that. It makes sense. And it makes sense for LGBTQ people to identify with their sexual orientation. It does. I mean, for, for many, it was the first safe place where they felt accepted and they felt loved and they felt heard. And for a lot of lgbtq people it's it's not necessarily just about sex it's it's about community and being valued and i just want to say you can find that here but i also want to say let, let's gay or straight let's wrap ourselves around something more durable the one who is everlasting the one whose love is unconditional I mean for me, any time that I've placed my identity in in something else, I've I've been let down. I've put my identity in friendships and sports and relationships, things that could not support my identity. And a lot of my personal past pain is from me putting my identity into something that just it couldn't it couldn't handle it. Even today, I for me today, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a boss. I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a bad fisherman, I'm a mediocre barbecuer. is just like different parts of me. And there's this constant pull to, uh, to put my identity in, in one of those things. And as soon as I do, I set myself up for disappointment. And so instead, I take those parts of me and I make them subordinate to my identity, my one true identity. I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. I love how uh, Jesus' best friend puts it. He puts, Jesus must increase... I must decrease. See, I am at my best, and you are at your best. You are firing on all cylinders. You are most confident. You are feeling most free. You are most accepted. The more that Jesus increases in your life as you decrease. And so, may we, again, gay or straight, may we sit with Jesus as he meets us where we are at. He is full of grace, he is full of truth. Jesus called sin, sin, and he called sinners like me sinners. And then he went and he laid down his life for that sin. I need Jesus, and you need Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul gives a a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I just wanna say, uh, in this list that he gives, I'm all over this list multiple times. Uh, I bet you are too. But look at this list. Paul writes, neither the sexually immoral, which is all of us is the way that Jesus defined it. If you have lusted, you have, you're sexually immoral. Nor idolaters, okay, I make idols. My heart is an idol factory. Nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy. I mean, again, we're all over this list. The greedy, the drunkards, that's some of us. Slanderers. I guess back then there were mommy small groups as well. I'm just kidding, by the way. I wanted to get emails from other people, too. Uh, Nor (laughs) slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this, and I love this. He says, and that is what some of you were. It's what you were. But Jesus meets you where you're at. With our baggage and our messes. Jesus sits with us and he lifts us up and he says, that's what you were. This is who you are. The child of God, calling you to God's best. It's not an easy road. You're gonna make mistakes, but I will not run out of grace. My grace is sufficient for you. That's who you were. This is who you were. You are bought with a price. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings.